But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act, for he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good portion, packed down, firmly shaken and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as I look out on the slightly smaller crowd this morning, I wonder, did someone let slip that I was going to be telling you to love your enemies this morning? (laughs) But I am glad to see all of you that are here, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time here, I'm glad you're here. So there are many doctrines and beliefs in Christian teaching that are kind of difficult for us to deal with. And many of these things were also difficult in Jesus' time, even though we like to think that sometimes we have a harder time of it in our modern understanding of things. From the virgin birth to the resurrection, from miraculous healings to miraculous feedings, what are we to do with these things that our logical world tells us make no sense? From the Trinity to the sacraments to the Incarnation, what are we to do with concepts that are so convoluted, sometimes we wonder why we even bring them up. We talk about the unwed teenager who becomes pregnant with the Son of God, but we don't often dig too deeply into that story. Whether it's out of an inability to believe that this girl was really a virgin, or because we're aware of how we tend to treat unwed mothers in our own society. What does it mean for us today that this is how God chose to come into our world? We hear the stories of Jesus feeding the multitudes, how a handful of bread loaves and a few fish were able to feed thousands with more left over than they started with. But is the miracle in so little being turned into so much, or in the fact that Maybe people just had some extra food with them and thought they would actually share with their neighbors. Sometimes I think either of those things is difficult for us to hear and to believe. And what of the Trinity? God is three in one and one in three. God is God, but God is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the eternal embodiment of relationship. 
but how the heck do we begin to talk about that in a way that makes any sort of sense for us in today's world? Each of these ideas and many others offer difficulties for us. They don't quite fit into the world as we know it and understand it, but they didn't quite fit in Jesus' time either, or why would we think of them as miraculous in some way? And yet, we do believe. We believe in God, and we believe that God can do as God wills. We believe in Jesus, that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, both of those things at the same time in the same person. We believe that Jesus came and modeled for us a new way of living, a new way of being, that Jesus died on the cross, and that Jesus still lives today. We believe that the Holy Spirit continues to blow through the church, guiding us in God's ways, even as we try and stuff God into a box and say, God looks just like this and no more. We believe, even when we cannot fully understand these great mysteries of the church. We believe these things no matter how hard it is for us to accept But as hard as some of these things are for us to understand and believe and accept, I think perhaps that the hardest for us to accept is one that is not even, at the end of the day, all that complicated, and that is God's grace. You see, grace is God's undying love for us. Grace is God's forgiveness offered to us and to all. Grace is God coming down to live as a human being among us, to call us into deeper relationship with God and with each other. Grace is God not giving up on us humans, even as we nail Jesus to the cross. Grace is God continuing to be God and faithful to us, even as we break the covenant that we have with God. Grace is God's free outpouring of love and forgiveness and mercy that is offered to all, even though there is nothing we can do to deserve it. Grace is God's love offered to you and to all those people out there. I think that our difficulty sometimes with grace is that it's something that we know we don't deserve. It's something we can't earn. It's not something we can barter with. It's not something that's only for certain people. And grace is not something that we have any control over whatsoever. We don't get to define who God grace is for. Only God gets to do that. And so we have a hard time with grace. And there are two ways I think that grace is particularly hard for us, and I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I think that we experience both of these at different times in our lives. And to help us explore the first difficulty, I want to tell you a little about a friend of mine. Now, I met this guy in, in seminary, He's now a pastor in Michigan. Um, And it's one of those things that I I later learned that uh, when I met April, that uh, 
he and his wife were some of her best friends. And so they remained our friends over the years. Um, they are godparents to our oldest son, and April is one of the godparents for one of their kids. And he's a well-liked pastor, and the churches he's pastored have really thrived as they've explored together God's grace and what it means to live in that grace. And one of the things for which he is well, best known is his saying that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And this is a really powerful message if we think about it. On the one hand, there are many of us that feel like there is no way we could ever deserve God's love. We know the things we have done. We have sinned exceedingly. We feel like we have fallen too far. We are so sure that we have placed ourselves beyond God's grace. We say to ourselves, God could never love me, a sinner. Our guilt is so strong, we believe that it keeps us from God's love. Or, on a related note, there are also those of us who have been judged by the church for years. Rather than experiencing the love and relationship that Jesus has modeled for us, we experience judgment and rejection. We are told over and over again by others that we are beyond God's love. These human authorities do their best to separate us from God's love and forgiveness and mercy. But that's the thing about God's grace and what makes my friend's words so powerful. God loves us and there is nothing we can do about that. We do not get to define God's love, nor are we so powerful that we can stop God from loving us. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or any other thing that is created. Nothing. The hard part for many of us is believing that for ourselves and for others. We sometimes have an easier time believing that the bread and the cup physically turn into flesh and blood than we do believing that God loves us. Now you may have noticed that our scripture passage this week picks up right where we left off last week, right in the middle of Jesus' sermon this continuation of Jesus' powerful teaching illustrates our other significant difficulty with grace. Grace isn't just for us alone. And by this I mean God's grace doesn't just exist for those of us that are in this room or those of us in this or that church. God loves everybody. Whether we want to label them as enemies, those we hate, or unrepentant sinners whether they are saintly or ungrateful and wicked people. God loves them and wants to offer forgiveness. Jesus makes this quite clear in the midst of his teaching. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is merciful. But where it gets even more difficult is when Jesus says, Oh, and by the way, 
you are supposed to love your enemies too. Jesus makes it clear that the grace is not for God alone to offer. That's the challenge for us today. It is not only making clear God's love for the ungrateful and the wicked, but we are called to love those people as well without reservation. Following is flipping of our expectations about who gets to be rich or happy in the world. Jesus continues with the call to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate you. Rather than telling his followers to treat other people as they have treated us, Jesus tells us to treat other people how we want to be, we want to be treated. This is that golden rule that so many of us know is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not only are we called on not to seek retribution when we are treated unfairly, we are called to treat people as we wish to be treated, no matter who they are or how they have treated us. Jesus makes it clear that this is how we are set apart from others. Though I do have to make it clear that being set apart is not about making us better than other people but about serving as an example to others. We love our enemies, we do good, we lend without expecting anything returned, not because we are better than other people, but because that serves as the example that Jesus has given us. That serves as an example for those who don't yet know Christ. This is not to say that it's without additional difficulties either. As with all of Jesus' teachings, once we humans get a hold of them, we sometimes have a tendency to twist them around and turn them into something different than the spirit in which Christ intended. We sometimes use these sayings to force people to stay in abusive relationships. We sometimes use these sayings to force continuing relationships with someone who is actively causing harm to another. We tell others they must forgive even when we are unwilling to do so ourselves. We call on others to treat us better than we treat them. We expect people to continue loving us no matter how much hate or pain we cause them. No matter that we can never separate ourselves from God's love, we can and do harm our relationships with each other if we uncritically ask for someone else to forgive us even as we continue to harm them. We fail to serve as an example of God's love when we call on others to forgive when we aren't willing to stop the pain we are causing. Somehow this admonition to love others always seems to be applied to other people, to those on the margins. We fail to realize that the call to treat others as we want to be treated applies to not only those who have wronged us, but those we have wronged. No matter how much we love those who harm us, we have missed the point of the gospel if we fail to love those that we have caused harm to. Now considering the seriousness of this call that Jesus has placed before you, before us today, it may surprise you to hear that I'm reminded of the movie Groundhog Day. Now, I realize it may have come out before some of you were even born, and that's okay. It's a good movie about grace and new birth. It's 
has Bill Murray in it, who plays this self-centered, narcissistic weatherman, who gets called to go and cover the Groundhog Day every year, and he hates it. Has nothing to do with him. It doesn't advance his career in any way. He gets nothing out of it. What is the point of going? It's not like a groundhog is a real weatherman. But somehow on this particular trip, he begins living this same day over and over and over again. He lives through the day, goes to bed, and then wakes up again the next morning, and it's Groundhog Day all over again. And at first, he's obviously really confused. And then as he comes to accept what is happening, he starts to live out all of his most selfish desires. But soon he begins to see that he's not going to find any sort of fulfillment in that life. There's no happiness for him in that. When it gets to the end of the movie, it is only in his forgiveness of himself and the mercy and compassion that he learns to show to other people, both those that he has seen as his enemies in some way and those that he has wronged himself, It is only at that point that he begins to break out of the cycle and is able to live into a new life. As we prepare to leave here today, I want you to think about the implications of this way of looking at the world for how we live our lives. We have a tendency to live our lives the same way. We get stuck on repeat doing the same things over and over and over again. We fail to find fulfillment in our self-centered pursuits. We act as if others owe us something, even when we have not treated them with the same respect. But Jesus shows us a better way to be. Jesus calls us into deeper relationship with God, a relationship that we are called to mirror in our relationships with other people. Jesus teaches us to love others as we want to be loved, to love others just as much as God loves us. Jesus calls us to offer others that same grace that God has shown to each of us. And frankly, that's hard. We have no idea how God could possibly love us because of all the things that we know that we have done. We know ourselves and we know we have fallen short. But you know what? God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And we like to be so certain that we are right and those other people over there are wrong. We sometimes think that reassurance of forgiveness is for us alone or only for those people that are just like us. But God loves those that we hate just as much as God loves us. And then Jesus calls on us to go forth and do the same. So let us go forth from this place. Let us go forth assured of God's love for us. And let us in that assurance show love for others. May it be so.